Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We will continue tonight with our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sundarbha. <clears throat> we are on the 100th Anucheda. Maya conforms to the Leela of Bhagavan. And we will continue this evening uh, more or less where we left off. So at one point in the Anucheda, Srila Jiva Goswami states, in this way it has been showed that Bhagavan undergoes victory and defeat for the sake of the diversity of his Leela meant to nourish the joy of his devotees. This is described in the narration of the churning of the ocean of milk. So the point that Jeeva is making here is that his engagement in Leela within the material realm is simply to bring delight to his devotees. That's its purpose. And we discuss the infusion by the Lord of his potency in the last discussion. And I'll reread the verse that Jiva quotes from the eighth canto in this regard. Vishnu entered the Asuras in his demoniac feature, intensifying their strength and prowess. The gods in his divine aspect, enlivening them, and the snake Vasuki in the form of unconsciousness. We'd gone over this by reading the actual Anacheda, but I wanted to bring out two aspects of what we'd already discussed that Jiva had brought up in regards to the the time factor. In other words, Jiva's brought out how time plays into all this. And in one instance, he's brought out the fact that time is a specific function, functional capacity of Maya. So he's looking at time as one of the one of the constituents of the Lord's external energy that impels the beginningless flow of the aggregate consciousness, or I'm sorry, aggregate karma of the cosmos in accordance with his will alone. So, Jiva's saying that time can be seen as working as a factor or a potency of the Lord's external energy. And then he goes on to, in the very next paragraph of the Anacheda, alternatively, the meaning of tat kalanuguna, referring to time, is as follows. Bhagavan is he whose qualitative aspect is time, which is ever obedient to him and which is characterized by the power of independent action undertaking exclusively for the sake of blessing his devotees. So he's brought out two meanings or two ways. You wouldn't call them meanings, but he's brought out two ways that we can look at the involvement of time in 
this whole affair of the Leela of the Lord. So in one way we can look at time as simply being the impelling agent for the movement of actions and reactions in the world of action and reactions. So time is that it, it brings about the manifestation of karma or karma can also be looked at as destiny. If we look at it, if we, again, just to reinforce our understanding here, the Lord's coming into the material world and he's playing like one of us. But it's unique. He seems to go along with, when he performs his actions, the normal ebb and flow of material existence, seamlessly. He comes and it's not like he illuminates the world to such an extent that there's no need for the sun and the moon. He doesn't do that. He comes into the world and the planets still move. The constellations still move in the sky. They don't always stay in that auspicious, uh, what is it, Rohini? The auspicious Rohini presence in the constellation that is displayed at the time of Krishna's birth, specifically Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam, when the Supreme comes in his original form. The stars still move in the sky. The sun and the moon still go through their cycles. I mean, really, this is God, as we said, coming into the universe. You'd think everything should just, everybody should just stop what they're doing. And here's God. <laughs> you know, what happens when the president comes to town? They close all the streets. No traffic moves so he can pass through. So wouldn't you think there should also be a, a stoppage in, in the movement and the ebb of flow of material nature when God comes to town? You would think that well, he could certainly, he's, he's the biggest show in town. He's the biggest show to ever come to town. So he's the biggest, the biggest manifestation, the most of everything in one personality, and he's making himself visible in human society. Everything should come to a standstill and just, just fall on its knees and all in reverence. I can only imagine. <laughs> It's the Christian song. What have got to see God? I can only imagine. What will I do? Krishna, when he manifests his leela in his different forms and comes into human society, things go on. It's seamless, it seems. So, Jiva's bringing out these different ways to look at, well, in the material world, time is that factor that Make, makes things go forward from one thing to another. We all run a long time. We all, well, we run in fear of time more than run along with time. Time's pushing us along. From the time it pushes us out of the womb to at times it, it uh, you know, slams us into the grave at the end. Time is that factor that's pushing. 
It's that agent whereby we are forced to enjoy or suffer through the agency of the Lord's external energy, through his the reactions to our actions in the world. In this Anacheta, Jeeva's brought out, well, there's two ways to look at time in relationship to the Lord's advent and his involvement in the material world. And one is, we can look at time as conventionally, that time is conventionally going forward and karma is normally playing out. And the Lord is, he's, as I said, seamlessly coming in only for the purpose of enacting leelas that will nourish the love of his devotees. Everything else that happens in the world is just a side consequence of that objective on the Lord's part. Now, this point is going to be brought out in the next few Anachetas in different ways. And it's, it's a profound revelation. It's a profound way of looking. It's that way of looking at things that Narada was professing to Vyas in his despondency. You've given us, you've given human society all that they need to lead a just dharma, a prosperous artha, an enjoyable kama, and a perfected moksha life in your Vedic presentation. And you've given it in the Vedas, you provide the Mahabharat for society in general because you know, the Vedas are a little cryptic. They're a little hard to enter into the Vedas. You've got to study the Sanskrit language. and you I mean, it's, it's kind of a task that you have to take up to get the meaning directly out of the Vedic aspirisms. So you gave them the Mahabharat. And they can listen to stories and they get the same meanings. They can pull out the same truths and in the heart of the Mahabharat you've put the most ideal Upanishadic presentation, the Bhagavad Gita Gita Upanishad so here, now here's the Vedas condensed spoken directly by the Lord himself in language that the layman can understand and you've put that in the Mahabharat for them and you've given them the Vedanta Sutra. You've given them a compilation of the ideas that are presented in the Upanishads, in the Vedas proper. You've taken out that essence and given them, given them the Vedanta Sutra. What's left out? You've given them, given them Artha, Dhamma, Kama, and Moksha. Why are you despondent? Why? 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 What's missing? And Narda comes along and he he says, "You're despondent because yes, there's something missing. What's missing is that 
fifth attainment. Prem. You haven't given them an avenue by which they can fully experience the love of the Lord. A love for the Lord and the reciprocation of experiencing the Lord's love. That you haven't give given. You need to think about this seriously. And seriously, Vyas thought about it. And he entered into, so seriously was his thoughts about it that he, he gave up all other thoughts. He gave up all other involvement in the world and he entered into samadhi. And in that samadhi, he saw right there before him the Supreme Lord. He experienced the Supreme Lord's full form. And he experienced and saw the what's lacking. That, that there is an avenue that's available to us to actually fully experience the name, form, quality, and pastimes of the Lord. And in doing so, that fifth attainment of love for him becomes automatically manifest. If I can give them an opportunity to, to see, as I'm seeing in, in Samadhi, this form of the Lord, to hear his name, to understand his unlimited qualities, and to appreciate his love, which can be experienced through narration or participation in his Leela. So if I can do this, then then my job will be complete. So he went back and we have the Srimad Bhagavatam. Now Jiva here is saying not only not only this one literature that Srila Vyasadeva compiled in order to give suffering humanity access to the topmost attainment Prem Bhakti not only was this Srila Vyasadeva's objective in providing the Bhagavatam, if we look closely at what the Bhagavatam says and we milk it for its essence, we come to this conclusion. Actually, the whole creation maintenance and dissolution of the universes that come forth is for that same purpose and that purpose alone. This is revolutionary spirituality. I mean, who looks upon the creation of God as simply an, oppor- as simply an opportunity to love God? What, who looks at it this way? What literature presents the whole, the topmost understanding of religion and spirituality in this way, except the Bhagavatam? No. Even the best of the Vedic literatures, they present primarily Artha, 
Dharma, Karma and Moksha. Prema? Prem Bhakti? And then giving an entrance into that in the in the worst of circumstances that human humanity can find itself at the end of the four ages of man, here comes Kali Yuga to take away all good of their of our of our character, truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, mercy, just chopped we're chopped out from underneath us, and what's left? A little bit of truth. And that truth of what life is all about, that little bit of truth is shining through and has now been magnified by Sri Chaitanya. I mean, what an opportunity we have. So, these two, this viewing of the time factor is being presented here in this Anacheda in two aspects. One is in the normal conventional way and then in the sense that time itself is that agency of volition of the Supreme Lord himself. So now we'll continue reading from the Anacheda, where we left off. In both explanations, we're talking about time here, in both explanations, it is equally evident that Bhagavan is not subservient to time. Lord Kapila also confirmed the same. Time is the 25th evolute of Prakriti. Time is said to be the prowess of the Purusha from which fear arises. That's taken from the third canto of the Bhagavatam. What he says here, what, what Jiva Goswami writes is, here Kapila has stated that both opinions, that time's working as, as the impelling agent for the execution of karma within the material conventional world of man. Here Kapila has stated both opinions, that time is a manifestation of maya and that it is a quality of the purusha. Jiva Goswami goes on. The primary function of Bhagavan's volitional process that's the other aspect of time that's been brought out. As time is solely for the delight of his devotees. So if we're going to look at time as an agency through which the Lord does something, well, there's only one thing that he would use time for in relationship to the material world. The same reason he created the material world the same reason he enters into the material world, the same reason he maintains it and destroys it, which will come out as we go on into these Anuchetas, simply for the delight of his devotees. His volition, his useful, his utilization of time as a volition of enacting Leela and making that Leela avail available 
in the course of the time of the material creation. When we look at time that way, Jiva says, we have to say the Lord's using it only for the delight of the devotees. The function of activating the gunas occurs automatically as a byproduct. And thus, it merely appears to be his own action. Therefore, the prior aspect, i.e. of pleasing the devotees, is directly his own will and is thus a manifestation of the intrinsic potency, Swarup Shakti, whereas the other aspect is a mere semblance, a boss, of his will and is thus counted as a component of Maya, which is itself the very power of appearance, a boss Shakti. If you want to look at time as an aspect of Maya, pushing your karma along, yeah, go ahead. It's really just a reflection of what time's all about. That's what Jiva's saying here. It's a byproduct of the fact that Krishna is using his time to nourish the love of his devotees. In Srimad Bhagavatam's 10th canto, the mention of the divisions of time into units such as nanoseconds, namisha, and so on, which be, belongs to the mayic feature of time, is only to say that the two aspects are ultimately non-different. It's the same time used. But how do we view it? We can view it through the eyes of the Bhagavatam, through the export distillation of the Bhagavatam to bring in these truths. Or you can look at it some other way. Time I am a destroyer of worlds. Krishna gives you the other way. He even says it to Arjuna. I'm here to destroy the worlds. No, I'm here to destroy your attachment to the world of illusion. That's the world, world I'm talk, really talking about here. Now you can say that I'm here to destroy, time is my agency for destroying the worlds, but what world? Well, look at the ten subjects of the Bhagavatam. What's the last dissolution? There's different dissolutions of those ten subjects of the Bhagavatam. There's the partial dissolution at the end of Brahma's day. There's the complete dissolution at the end of the life of Brahma, when the universe itself is wrapped up and reabsorbed into the body of the Karnadakshai Vishnu, the topmost manifestation of the Purusha avatars. And there's absolute dissolution. And that's when the jiva individually gives up his false sense of self. That's the absolute dissolution. Time I am 
Krishna says, destroyer of the worlds, he destroys in different ways. But what's the topmost way that he's speaking about? So, these are, these are the mysteries. These are the secrets that are there to be mined from the Bhagavatam so we can understand what Krishna is saying in his Gita Upanishad. What's really he's talking about, time I am. I'm here to destroy your false sense of self because absolute destruction is really what it's all about. Now, that's... That's where we're going. That's where Jiva's going with this. So we're now dealing with the Lord's involvement in Leela, and, and Jiva's going to take that further and deeper. I'll just read the concluding part of the commentary here that kind of brings this out, and then we'll go on to the next Anocheta. Uh, Sachin Narayan Das writes, in the, opinion, in the opinion of some, time is not a function, vritti of maya, but a volitional act, chesta of Bhagavan. The meaning of the compound tad kalanuguna would then be Bhagavan is he whose in, initiative is time, the function of which is to give pleasure to his devotees or acting to give pleasure to the devotees of the Lord, time, <clears throat> excuse me, being an operation of Bhagavan, also inspires the corresponding material gunas. Continuing on to the 101st Anocheta, the invisible presence of Bhagavan. We'll read a little of the Anocheta, but you can see where Jeeva is taking us here. I mean, again, we're talking the same, he's bringing the same point home. Why can't I see the presence of the Lord in those that he empowers to engage in his leela? Jiva writes, but why is that power, Tejas, that is made to enter into the devas and asuras by Bhagavan, not visible? In answer to this, Sri Sukha says, and now he quote, brings out a verse from the Bhagavatam. Bhagavan appears like light, jyoti, and other elements, and thus he cannot be discerned from the bodies, sangatat, of the devas and asuras. It is only the wise who, after careful deliberation, ultimately come to know that the self is situated in the self. To bring this a little closer to our personal experience, Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Dave Goswami, Prabhupada is a householder. We're living, he was actually, he sponsored, I guess, Bhakti Rakshak. He put him up. He, he was staying with him for that period of time. So you can imagine how close they came became as God brothers. So they're living together as God brothers for a long time. So then they separated and Papa went off to the Western world and started a movement. And after some time, that movement 
flourished just magically, mystically, beyond any expectation. And then various devotees went to Sridhar and in speaking of what Prabhupada has had accomplished. Now imagine, they were God brothers living together, so they had a sense of each other, and a sense of their spiritual prowess, because a devotee has spiritual prowess, which develops over time, sometimes over lifetimes, generally speaking, but there's some real potency there that develops, and one devotee can perceive the potency of another devotee. But when Prabhupada went to the Western world, all of a sudden, what happened? He was accomplishing unimaginable feats. So this was brought to Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Goswami's attention. And his conclusion was, Nichinanda Avesh. This is only possible because Prabhupada has been invested with the potency of Lord Nichinanda. This is extraordinary. <coughs> Doing all this, opening all these centers, and just a flood of Westerners who have no background coming and, and offering their themselves at Srila Prabhupada's feet. Nichinanda Avesh. No other explanation. So this empowerment. Similarly, that's what we can see that, that Jiva Goswami's bringing out here is first this verse, what's Sugadeva Goswami saying, it is only the wise after careful deliberation who can ultimately come to know that the self is situated in the self. Here you have Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Dev Goswami, who himself is a very, very advanced devotee. And he's the one that's able to see, yes, this is Nityananda Avesh. Common person cannot see this. That's what Sukadev Goswami is bringing out here. Because Jiva's using this verse to say, why can't we see this empowerment of the suras and the asuras as being an influence of the Lord's internal shakti. Why can't everybody just see this empowerment? No, the wise can see it. So that's what's being brought out here in this Anucheta. Although Bhagavan enters into the devas and asuras, this is Jiva Goswami kind of explaining the verse that he's just quoted of Sri Sukadeva Goswami. Although Bhagavan enters into the devas and asuras by a portion of his prowess, he cannot be discerned from their bodies, sangatat, which are intermixtures, samisratvat, of various tattvas meaning that the people in general are unable to recognize him. Nevertheless, the wise, namely those who, those of highly refined discrimination, ultimately churn the evidence and through the logic of negation come to the conclusion that the assistance of him, 
in the case of the Davis, or the combating of him in the case of the Asuras is categorically impossible. Pretty simple conclusion. God's God. He doesn't need anybody's help. He doesn't need to have the demigods on his side to defeat the demons. If he wants to fight with you, what's the possibility of that? So to say what Jeeva is saying here is this is it's not a possibility. God doesn't need anybody's help. And if God wants, wants to defeat you, well, he doesn't. He can lift a mountain with his little finger. And you know, I mean, what possibility is there of an Asura standing up to the Supreme Lord? and offering combat. So Jiva say, the wise can see the situation for what it is. And that's what Sukadeva Goswami's bringing out here in this verse. But the people in general? No, they cannot see. Categorically impossible. They consequently come to intuit the self, the supreme eminent regulator, as situated in the self, the big self situated in the little self, namely to have entered into their individual bodies through his integrated portion. Jiva continues, Sri Sukha gives an example that contains the reason why Bhagavan Bhagavan's power remains unseen. Because his prowess appears like light and other elements whose own respective powers are also transmitted to other media. The difference is that the transmission of the power of fire or light and other elements is discernible to the common observer, whereas in the case of Bhagavan, the infusion of his power is intuited only by those of highly refined wisdom. The meaning is as follows. By observing the power of a magnifying glass to set dry gla grass ablaze. Interesting, there's a footnote here just for those that like fancy footnotes. Surya Kana Kanta Mani. Surya Kanta Mani. That's a magnifying glass. Surya Kanta Mani taking the power of Surya and magnifying it. It appears to those experienced in the matter that the radiance does not belong to the gem itself. If you know one thing for another, you'll know that it's really not the, the glass that's, that's causing the magnifying glass to burn the leaf because it is not seen there previously. The sun's there. The magnifying glass is there, but it's not burning the table because it's laying on the table. So with a little bit of discernment, a little bit of, of discrimination, a little bit of wisdom, we can come to the conclusion that the magnifying glass is not really the power that's, that's the burning potency of the refracted light. Rather, they recognize that it is the radiance of the sun that entered it through contact with sunlight. As, 
and as implied by extension of the very same previous example, the fragrance of the air is from the properties of the earth that have entered into it and not from the air itself. The same is also the case here, i.e., the power of the Davis to assist Bhagavan or the Asuras to combat him is not their own, but is due to the transmission of a portion of his own power. Alternatively, this verse is a response to the following doubt. It has been concluded that Bhagavan plays only with his own potency, which he has invested in the Devas and Asuras. So why is it observed that he also plays with them? In response, Sukha speaks this verse. Again, the same verse that's quoted at the beginning of the Anucheta. Just to remind ourselves, Bhagavan appears like light and other elements, and thus he cannot be discerned from the bodies of the Devas and Asuras. It is only the wise who can deliberate and ultimately come to know that the self is situated in the self. We should see that it's not the Asuras or Asuras that have the power, but rather they've been infused with the potency of the Supreme to even stand in his presence, what to speak of, engage in his leela as participants and help him or, or put up an opposition to him. He is God. So it's only for, it's, it's only as, as Jeeva's pointed, it's for the delight of the devotees that we're, we're allowed to observe all this in a field of action that we have some acquaintance with. It's an ideal way to attract us. We could say, how else could we know? Well, we don't have to worry about how else. This is the way that the Lord enacts his leela. And he does it in a field of action that we have some familiarity with, our day-to-day lives. So that's his maya. And in the context of this discussion, that maya is mercy. Jiva's using that definition. Maya is mercy. This mercy of the Lord to come and enact Leela and engage in a way that we can assimilate through familiarity. We know what it is to get into to be exploited. We know what it is. And he comes on that pretext even, and he says in the Bhagavad Gita, Yada Yada Hi Dharmasya Glanir Bhavati Bharata. I come again and again to reestablish the principles of religion. What religion? Well, let's go deep. What's he talking about? If we're to take the conclusion of what Jiva's milking from the Bhagavatam here, what's the intent of his religion? To, to reestablish the topmost religion. Right. Golokar Premadan. Harinam Sankirtan. I come to reestablish the religion of, well, to use a phrase from the 60s, love. It's a love in. That's his religion. And that's the topmost religion. The other religion you can get from the Vedas, 
That's their the topmost understanding. That's the mystery. The mystery that's made available to the devotees through the agency of the devotees. I thank you so much for your association.